All right, Mark chapter 1, we'll be in, and I'll read verses 14 through 20. Um, before we get into our text, I want to, I didn't mention our trunk or treat, and I just want to mention it because the time, I mean, the date has shifted, so I want to put that on the radar. You hopefully had this insert uh, in your hand rather than dropping out of your bulletin, um, but it's going to be on Thursday, October 28th. Normally, we do trunk or treat on that Wednesday on or before uh, the 31st, uh, but this year, due to the how we've shifted meals, right, we're, we're still doing the drive-through meal distribution, and that's on Wednesday night, and it would create just a logistical nightmare trying to do that, and people drive through. Last year, we, like, shut down traffic in Elgin, um, so it was, a, it was a really great success, I thought. That's, our, that's always our goal, is to disrupt the civil authorities, and... Um, <laughs> More we can just kidding, deputy reader. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Move along. <laughs> Wasn't ready for that. All right, Mark, Mark chapter one. Uh, I'm going to read verses 14 through 20. And uh, would you stand as I read God's word? Mark one, verse 14. Now after John was arrested. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Would you pray with me? Lord, we praise you and thank you for your word written down and delivered to us. As your providence oversaw through the centuries that your scriptures penned by eyewitnesses would arrive now here before us in Holy Scripture. We pray that you would give us grace and eyes to see, ears to hear, that you would soften our hearts, unclog our spiritual arteries. Lord, that hearts might beat afresh to your glory. And so, Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So God, you have given us your eternal word firmly fixed in the heavens. Give us grace to believe and obey. And so, Lord, would you speak? Father in heaven, speak. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to shed these things. Um, We've been through, sort of begun cracking open Mark's gospel. And I love getting into a book of the Bible. It's like uh, a geode. Anybody know like a geode? Okay, I'm going to be nerd nerd moment. Okay. Uh, uh, A geode looks on the outside, it looks like a rock. It's kind of... Perhaps boring, drab, dull, gray, brown. 
but you have to put it into enormous pressure. And, it's sometimes, and if you do it right, I don't know how to do it, you can crack it in two. And the, the drab outside opens up to all of these beautiful crystals. Amethyst and... I'm not a geologist. That's my, in the extent of my knowledge. But it's just a wonderful picture. And sometimes I think we approach Scripture... Uh, and and when, we, when we sort of just glance off the surface of it, it becomes that drab. You know, I'm going to go through my Bible reading, which I hope you're still doing, by the way. Uh, and if you're behind, it's okay. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep swimming. Okay, Dory, just keep swimming. And it's worth it. But when you continue to sort of glance off of it and not spend the time soaking it in, it becomes like that drab outside. And sometimes we have to camp and let it, let it blossom. Or sometimes we have to do a little bit of effort, a little bit of work, and crack it open. And all of a sudden, you see there are treasures here that you have never seen before. This is one of the reasons why I thank God that he's called me to do what he's called me to do, because I get to do that. I get to see treasures that I never saw before when we come to the scriptures. And so... As I was preparing for Mark and preparing for, um, really preparing in, in weeks past, this, this idea came forward. And I want to put, before, put it before you and I want to show it to you in our scriptures as a bit of an introduction uh, before we talk about fishing for people, which sounds like an odd turn of phrase today. In the ancient Near East, covenants were agreements that were entered into by different nations. Usually there was a greater king and a lesser king, a greater king and what might be called a vassal king. And the greater king would set terms right before, uh, say, I'm, I'm going to come wipe your city out unless you agree to these terms. Or the, the, young, the younger, the, the lesser or the vassal king would come appealing to the superior greater king saying, I need your help. May we enter into treaty together. Let's enter into covenant together. The Old Testament word would be to cut a covenant. And so God's people have been brought into covenant with God. Now, I'm not going to spend the time in the Old Testament opening all of that up. But over and over and over again, God makes a covenant with his people. And it's the greater. Who is the greater in the scenario between God and his people? Okay, good. God. So the greater of the two parties sets the terms and then his people are expected to live up, live up to the terms. Uh, and you see this anywhere from you see it in Genesis. Well, you could argue about the very beginning in, in Genesis one and two. But you see the word show up with Noah, sort of a general covenant with all of God's people. Then you see it show up with a specific covenant where God calls Abraham or Abram at the time. In chapter 12 of Genesis and then chapter 15, chapter 17, he's establishing his covenant with Abraham. And then there's a, the covenant with Moses and David. And that's not all of this that I want to get into. But what I want you to see is that God's people don't live up to the covenant stipulations. God lays it out, particularly in the Mosaic covenant, God's covenant treaty contract. Not a great word, but just to help you see it. And he engages his people saying, I will be your, your God. You will be my people. You live this way. Live this way and live. Do this and live. Do this and live. Do this and live. And God's people would say, we're not going to do that and we're going to die. They don't really sign up for the second half of that. But they continually through the Bible say, we're not going to do that. 
And it, I hope you see this as you read the prophets. I know some of you have been wrestling through Ezekiel. Um, and maybe you've been seeing in our Bible reading. And hope you see that God's people say no. And God, and, or in Jeremiah, rising up early and sending to you the prophets. No. Over and over and over and over again, God sends to his people and they say no. And maybe not like that, but usually it's they'll give some sort of uh, lip service to God. They continue some sort of worship usually, but they bring on their idols over here. They bring on their high places. They bring on their Asherah poles, their Baal worship, their Canaanite God worship. They add on idolatry. They add on not just like spiritual, religious idolatry, but rather than leaning on God when he says, lean only on me, they go to the Assyrian king or they go to the Egyptian king or they go to the Babylonian king trying to find help rather than trusting themselves to the Lord. All of this to say there's a really important parable that we don't talk about a lot that I want you to see this sermon in the context of, but it's not until Mark chapter 12. And I figure that's far enough ahead that I can talk about Mark chapter 12 right now. And by the time we actually get there in Mark's gospel, you will have forgotten this moment. (laughs) Maybe I need to have a higher expectations for you all. But anyway. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus tells the parable of the tenants. The parable of the tenants. And a man goes and he makes, he he builds a vineyard. I'm not going to read it to you, but if you want to read Mark chapter 12 this afternoon or this evening, I would encourage you to do so. Um, But a man plants a vineyard, he puts a fence around it and a wine press, builds a tower, he sets up a vineyard, and then he puts tenants who are going to farm and take care of the vineyard for him. And the man leaves. And he expects to get something from it. And so he begins sending messengers and sending slaves and sending servants. And the tenants who are there looking after that which belongs to the man. It belongs to him. And he sends his messengers and he sends his servants. And some of them, they disregard them, they beat them, they kill some of them. And finally the man says, I'm going to send my only son. And if you remember, if you're familiar with it, if you're not, it's okay. If you're familiar with it, what do they do to the son? They kill him. They say, oh, here's the heir. He's going to get this, so let's kill him. And what they are embodying in that moment is the spirit of Satan. Taking that which, claiming that which belongs to God for themselves. And this is the nature of sin. This is the nature of what we continually do. We take that which God has given, which ultimately belongs to Him. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the psalmist tells us. There is nothing that exists that is beyond His sovereign rule and possession. From the tippity top of Mount Everest to the very bottom of the Mariana Trench belongs to Him. To the farthest nebula that we know about and the ones beyond that belong to Him. To the smallest riboflavin and whatever is on the inside of a cell belongs to Him. Not riboflavin, is it? What's it? Ribosome? Anyway. Biology was a long time ago. From the biggest to the smallest belongs to him. From the highest to the lowest belongs to him. And each individual person 
God has creator rights over it, those things, and He has creator rights over you and me. And yet, what sin tells us is that you, in fact, are the captain of your ship. You're the master of your fate. You do as you please. You set your course. We write Disney movies about it. I didn't write a Disney movie because I'd be really rich. But you get what we, we watch movies about it. We read books about it. This is what's celebrated is this, this human autonomy that we can do as we please. You, you can cook it all the way down to the, one of the most prevailing arguments in favor of murdering unborn children. This is my body. I'm going to do what I want to do with it. The arg- I'm not even going to get into how that's a really fallacious argument. But anyways, God, God owns it. God owns everything. And this is very important as we think about the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. One, but it also is very important that, in, and I want you to put it in this, this kind of context. If all of this belongs to God, if sin and sinful humanity is actually the outpost of the rebel, Satan himself, this alternative rule that wants to do as they please or do as it pleases, what we have in John the Baptist, not just John the Baptist, but all the prophets, and then John the Baptist, and then Jesus, and then as Jesus commissions his church, we have a wave of people being sent into the Lord's vineyard to say the kingdom of God is at hand. This belongs to Lord Christ, Jesus himself. All those waves of messengers and waves of servants sent to the tenants of the Lord's vineyard There are the prophets, and there are John the Baptist, and then you have the Son, Jesus himself, coming to lay claim to that which belongs to his Father. You see where I am? It is a a function, this is the covenantal engagement of God with his rebellious people. Another way to say it, this is the judgment of God upon his covenant people for not Yielding that which belongs to him. So John the Baptist comes as a messenger. As the, if you will, the last of the pre-son messengers. The last of the prophets who says, here the son is coming. Not only is the son coming, but judgment is coming with him. Repent and believe. Repent of your sins. For judgment is at hand. Man, that's an unpopular message today. But is there any other message that we need to hear? Because the judgment that is coming here in Mark's gospel, the judgment that's on the heels of Jesus is not his second coming. That's not the first judgment that's in view. The judgment that's on the heels of Jesus' arrival is the judgment of the cross. And this is the twist. The greater king, God himself, has sent all of his emissaries and his messengers to this rebellious people who are not living up to their agreement. They're they're claiming that which belongs to the greater king. They're claiming it for themselves. And according to the stipulations of the covenant, according to the treaty, the greater king has every right to come and send his armies and squash the lesser king. God has every right... If the, if the earth is his and the fullness thereof, all of creation belongs to him, he has every right to wipe all of us off the map. 
he had every right to do it at the flood. In Genesis chapter 6 and 7 and 8. And yet he didn't. There was mercy there. And, and maybe in the context of this, something that you need to see right now, hearer, is that the very breath that you have in your lungs, this moment of time that you will never regain, there will never, ever, ever again be a, what's today, October whatever, 2021 at 1046 a.m. But this moment is of mercy to you and to me. That we are existing on that which belong, does not belong to us. We're given bodies and souls and spirits and all of this belongs to him. And this is a mercy. But the greater mercy isn't just that God has not blotted us off the map. But the greatest mercy is that he has sent his son. And while the vineyard keepers, those tenants of the Lord's vineyard see the killing of the Son as the means of profiting themselves and gaining their autonomous freedom. Do you remember this? You probably, some of you may or may not remember back, there was like a Time magazine, I think it was Time, that said God is dead. And then there was this whole God is dead theology that arose out of it, that somehow... Science and the modern man had pushed God out of consciousness that we did not need him any longer. And ultimately, that's the will of the sinner. The one who is rebellious to God is the longing that somehow we would shake off the shackles of this greater king. You see it in Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and all the peoples plot in vain? They've plotted against the Lord and His anointed. They're saying, let us cast off their shackles from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. He holds them in derision. Dear one, it is an impossibility for you to live as though you were your own master. It's impossibility to live as though you were the captain of your own ship. And I hope if you don't know the Lord Jesus, that life has taught you that so far. As you've seen dreams crumble and relationships fail. You've seen that job, which is supposed to be it, just not be it. You've seen that man or that woman or that child that was supposed to supply you with your sense of accomplishment and victory. And as though you were the king or the queen of your own life, you've hopefully by this point been disavowed of that notion, you realize that this world cannot do that for you and you are, like it or not, you're subjected to the world around you. You're subjected to your own frailties and you're subjected to your own whims and personality, to your own sinful desires at times and you are subjected to the world around you. And what you need to see is that as you are disavowed, maybe this is the moment where you're reminded that you're not the boss. You long to be the boss. And that's that sinful rebellion welling up within you. Maybe this is the moment where you remember that you're not the boss. And as you remember that, it means you are subjected, that you are servant to something. John chapter 8, in John chapter 8, Jesus talks about 
And whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. So either you are bound and enslaved in the kingdom of darkness, and one of the lies that the king of darkness would tell you is that your chains are actually your wings of liberty. As you go out and pursue whatever your flesh and whatever your mind would tell you to have, the lie is is that that's freedom. But all those pursuits of freedom, all you are doing is making more links in your chains of slavery to sin and to death. As you pursue the flesh, as you pursue your own desires, you pursue your own lust and greed and power and significance and your own dreams of your own glory. All you are doing is forging your own slaves, own chains of slavery. And you are binding yourself to darkness. And so when Jesus comes and he says the kingdom of God is at hand, it is a summons to be free. It's a summons that we can be free. But freedom for us, dear ones, is only found in the bended knee. Freedom is only found in submission to Jesus. And so one of the good graces that God does as the dreams of this world fall apart. And we could spend the rest of the afternoon telling those stories. I could spend the rest of the afternoon. So I know you have stories of where dreams crashed and burned. But maybe in those failures, maybe in those disappointments, it's the good mercy of God saying, you're not in charge. Give your life to me. You're not the king. You're not the queen. You're not the captain. You're not the master. Jesus says, I am. You need to leave off pursuing yourself and your own glory and your own passions and your own lust. Your own greeds, dreams, powers, fame. And that's what repentance is. I'm not going to pursue those things. I'm going to trust that when the sun dies, something remarkable and gracious, miraculous happens. That when the sun dies, all of the judgment that is due to the people for not living up to the contract, went upon him. That the death that he died is what the vineyard keepers deserve. The death that he died is the death that we deserve. So we repent and we believe in the gospel. And Notice that this is how, not only how we enter into the kingdom, how we leave off the former domain of darkness, Paul says in Colossians 1.13. He's delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of His beloved Son. That we leave off the old domain. We leave off the shackles of sin, death, and Satan via the grace of God working in us for repentance and for faith. That's how we enter into the kingdom of God. That's how you get saved, as the old revival preachers might say. That if you want to know Jesus today, leave off your sin, quit following yourself, repent and trust in Christ. There is no other salvation. There is no other deliverer. There is no other Lord. 
But that's not only how we enter into the kingdom. That's how we live in the kingdom. That's how we flourish. Christian, you who have been following Jesus for five minutes or 50 years, this is how we live here. This is how we simultaneously live in this world and in the kingdom of God. Is that when you were to, if you were to look at these, repent and believe they are present tense imperatives. I said that so you think I'm smart. No. A present tense imperative is simply a command with ongoing activity. Can be repenting, be believing that the rhythm of the Christian life isn't repent, believe, and go do your best. Isn't go trust in Jesus, get baptized, and then go be as good a person as you can get around to being. The message is you repent and believe to enter into the kingdom. And as we continue to live in God's kingdom now, in this already moment, yet we're still in this world, we're going to continue to be beset by sin. We're going to be continue to be beset by darkness and surrounded by temptation. And the adversary is still roaming around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. We are in continued need of repentance. Be repenting. Saying sin is still here. Sin is still in this world, but sin, sin still shows up here. In my own life, in my own heart, in my own affections, in my own mind. And a need, I continue to need to repent and believe. Not rep- this is not penance. Not penance as though you need to go, you, you're such a wicked person, go sit in the corner with a dunce cap for 15 minutes. Or go sit in the corner and get, make yourself a leather whip and whip your backs as monks used to do back in the day. Not that kind of penance. Not go pray however many prayers you want to pray, how many formulas you want to do. No, the, the message of the gospel is, I need to leave this sin, but God has given me the friend of sinners. He has shed his very blood for me. I don't beat myself up. Jesus took the blows for me. By his wounds I am healed. Not the wounds that I delivered to myself, but the wounds that he willingly took upon himself. The gospel is all about what Christ has done. And dear Christian, you still need that. You need the reigning, ruling Christ who stands in glory as the Lamb who has been slain, bearing the scars, the marks of His love for you and me and all of His people, for whoever would trust in Him. Because when the kingdom of God is at hand, which it is now, while in Mark's gospel, the judgment to come was the judgment of the cross, Now we, as God's sent people, have a different judgment to proclaim. Either the judgment due to your sin fell upon Jesus at the cross of Golgotha, or the judgment due to your sin will be heaped upon you in the lake of fire for eternity. For the wrath of God will be poured out upon sin. And that is sobering. It ought to be sobering. Either find shelter 
and King Jesus and his sacrificial death and resurrection? Or, dear one, you will have no shelter in the day of judgment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Be repenting. Be believing. Some of you, you need to repent for the first time. You know, you know, you know you've been living for yourself. You've been living as the center of your world. You've been living as the master of your fate, the captain of your ship, the king or queen of your own story. Everything you do, every lie you tell, everything you do is meant to make you be better, look better, seem better. And you've never trusted. You never confessed your sin. And you've never trusted in Jesus. Maybe today. No, no, no. Today is the day. Today is the day. Come to Jesus. He has paid for those sins if you but trust him. Believe upon the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Christian, live as a citizen of the kingdom. Live according to the laws of the king. But do not, do not believe that judgment is something that you pour upon yourself. Sorry, sure, you, you sin, you're guilty, you feel shame. Confess it to the Lord and run, run to Jesus. Run there and lay hold of that cross until you cannot do anything else. Cling to Christ, for he has died and he has risen and he is coming again. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise and glory and thanks. Would you give us grace today to be a repenting people, but also grace to be a believing people? That, Lord, we would be enduringly admittant of our sin, but by your Spirit's work, may we be also enduringly those who cling to Jesus. That in Him, and in Him alone, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1.7, that in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Would you bring us into your kingdom, those who are not citizens yet, those who continue to pursue darkness and death, Pursuing worldly acclamation and fame. Who are pursuing empty pleasure and fleeting happiness of this world. I pray, O Lord, that a holy barb, that your spirit would pierce that hard heart. And in so doing, through the pain of conviction, you would open that one's eyes to behold Christ as their Savior and their Lord for the first time. God, for your child, your Christian who is a citizen who has trusted in you and has been following you and yet 
Lord, they continue to feel burdened and shame as though they have not done enough to cover up their sin. God, would you give them freedom to know that they don't have to cover it up? But because you are a sufficient Savior, they can confess. They can be open and real and true and look to Christ. So Lord, all of us, all of us stand in need of you and your kingdom. Would you help us to repent and to believe? Have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.